Welcome to the FinTech Australia podcast, brought to you in partnership with Tier One People, Australia's leading FinTech executive search consultants. I'm your host, Dexter Cousins. Today, I'm joined by Katrina Donahue, CEO of Civic Ledger. Using blockchain technology, Civic Ledger built open and secure digital platforms, empowering citizens and industry to self-manage transactions with government in a transparent, trusted, and secure environment. But before we get into the show, Tier 1 People is exclusively engaged on a head of product payment search with a digital bank. We're on the hunt for a strong leader who can drive new product development and be part of the next wave of fintech innovation. For more details, contact talent at tier1people.com. Katrina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dexter. Now, Civic Ledger, can you tell us a little bit more about the business and what it, what you do? Yeah, sure. So Civic Ledger is a blockchain-focused company that works with government to digitise government services. Brilliant. And so what, what's been some of your kind of key successes so far? I guess there's been a few highlights over the years. I think one of the first going way back in time was, you know, working with government in 2016 when nobody really understood what this technology was. And we came across an opportunity very long time ago. And because we had some some cheerleaders in a government department already, um, it was an easier experience for us to get in there, show them what we could do, and then do a very small proof of concept. The challenge was is it didn't go anywhere because it was quite early. 2016 was quite early. But it gave us the ability to think about use cases. It gave us that sort of edge to say we're just not talking about it, we're actually building with it and we're building some interesting things with it. But one of the highlights that we we reflect on and, and think about when we started working with IP Australia in 2017, that was a huge opportunity because that went to tender, that was a commercial tender and we secured that through the Digital Transformation Agency. We beat off Accenture and Boston Consultancy Group for that bid and we were like this, we were like this tiny little startup still doing side hustles and because we're able to talk with our technology and not be a sales team which is what we saw in the early days where everyone claimed to be an expert about the technology yet nobody knew what the code actually would do or or how to build with it but there were so many people that all of a sudden came out as expertise and and we had to fight really hard to sort of just say well actually we're not the big companies we don't have multi-million dollar sales funnels but you know what we kind of know what to do with it and we know how to build really well with it and after getting one use case and the next use case uh, we're able to start to scale and I think in 2018 you know we under the Finney Awards, which was a very big surprise when we were awarded as the Emerging Fintech Company of 2018. And and that was the same year that Air Wallets and Afterpay were cleaning up. Yeah. And, and I remember being at that event and we missed out on the um, Blockchain Company of the Year to AgriDigital. And I was heading to the bar. I was like, yeah, that's it. Not going to do anything now. And people were like going, oh, maybe you should hang around, Katrina. I'm like, nah, I'm just Ah, next minute they call out our name and that was a complete surprise i, I remember and being we at that event actually that- and i think it was kind of for me having been around um fintech since 2016 launching my business back then 
it, it seemed to be the kind of watershed moment where I thought, yes, you know, I've backed the right horse because it just seemed like all of a sudden fintech became legitimized and it wasn't just a bunch of people slapping each other on the back going, hey, we're having a try, but we were starting to see real traction. And as you mentioned, significant businesses like AirWallets and um, Afterpay as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess 2018 was the defining year for us. Like there was a lot going on um, and we were quite excited and then the ICOs hit. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, then it all came, and then it all came crashing down. Um, we had to reboot, go back to the start and start to, because it just became so, you know, the whole word of blockchain got yeah. It got absorbed into that complete mess. And while the ICOs was a fantastic opportunity to rethink capital and rethink investment and things like that and allow other people to participate in investment that couldn't, it also causes a lot of challenges because all of a sudden we were put into that category and we just had to spend the next 12 months trying to explain people, actually, no, this is who we are, this is what we're working on. This is how legitimate we are, and it cost us as a company. It yeah. almost broke us. So, so 2019 was not much fun. Um, but what it did do, it gave us an opportunity to really consolidate, really build out a good pipeline. And um, and in, in late 2019, we delivered a really exceptional product that is now subject to a tender, which I can't talk about, but it's subject to a tender, which we're actually responding to the New South Wales government on now. So it's a long game. It's a bloody long yeah. game because the sales funnels are really long um, and because the technology relies on complex systems, complex transactions with, with multiple players, you can't be the authority. You can't just build something and say, I'm the authority, I'm the one who's determining what data is and its governance. Yeah. You have to have the right players in the transaction and that means it's a lot of co-creation, it's a lot of sitting down and and herding people into it and saying, you know, it's not going to be bad. It's actually really quite interesting. So some news out last week um, and some yeah. continued success. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it, this is, again, we were six weeks old when we started this journey, um, when we responded to the Australian government uh, for a problem that they put out, which was, you know, how do we solve transparency in the Australian water markets? And that was back in 2016, and we responded to that, secured the opportunity, delivered a feasibility study in June 2017. Um, I said, no, we're, we're not going to back you. So we parked Water Ledger for a little while, and then in 2018, 19, we we basically secured some some seed capital, and we decided to do some R&D because it was so quiet for us as a company, and we built out Water Ledger. And once we had it in a, in a platform, it was trading water assets in a testnet way, I was able to then to get out to the market and start getting in front of irrigators and starting to talk to them about what, what was the next step into Australian water markets. And, again, timing is everything. Um we couldn't do it four years ago, but now we can because a lot of things has happened. We I remember we were delivering our feasibility study to the Australian government on the week that the uh, Four Corners program broke the news that there was all this corruption in the Australian water markets. Yeah. And we were like, all right, that's it. We're buried because what we were dealing with was so political and we kind of went, no, nah, nobody's going to want to touch us because what we were proposing to do was bring transparency to those water trays where information asymmetry and opacity was going to be the thing of the past. But 
just through persistence. And I think we got connected in to some people and we got introduced to the CRC for developing Northern Australia. CRC is a cooperative research centre and they have a mandate to build, unlock the agriculture output of far north Queensland, which, which far north Australia, which covers Western Australia, Northern Territory and Queensland. Um, there's a lot of agriculture opportunity up there, but there's no formal water markets. And so they listened. They listened to what we were think our, our vision and our innovation. And they were like, you know what, this is this is something that we could potentially back. Um, and we got some amazing irrigators in the name of Joe Morrow and he backed us. So it was the, ultimately, it wasn't the government that backed us. It was the irrigator community and um, the CRC. And we put a an application in last year in April and uh, they supported the project. And last week, finally, the um, the embargo was lifted and we were able to announce that we were now delivering the world first um, pilot trading water assets across a blockchain peer-to-peer uh, -peer marketplace. Great. I know, but that that was four years of hard slog, you know, being told that you were wrong, that we were it was impossible that we were ever going to get to this point. Um, so it just shows that timing is a lot of thing. And interesting, and since since the Four Corners pro program broke the news, I think we've had about three inquiries. Uh, we've had royal commissions. We've had five reports delivered. And today the product Productivity Commission announced once again there's going to be another inquiry into the Australian water markets. So we have spent, as taxpayers in this country, have spent millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of trying to work out what the hell is going on in our Australian water markets. And we're like going, if you just open up, look at the startup community, look yeah. at how emerging technology can start to have a different conversation by looking at old problems through different eyes. So that's the whole purpose of do, us doing the pilot up in Cairns is to not only work with the irrigators, look at how this technology can underpin the governance of new water markets in in, far, in Northern Australia, but also as a, as a country, step into the world of digital uh, because it can help with those problems that we just haven't been able to solve because of proprietary software solutions. Mm. So we've we've talked a lot about some of the challenges of being a founder, but um, yeah. there's a lot there's a lot to enjoy about it as well. What are, what are the things that you enjoy, and what would you say has been your your highlight so um, far? Well, I think I think the thing is that I, I came from government. I spent twenty years in government, you know, pushing, trying to change things, and being told that my thinking was quite erratic or quite polemic. And it's funny because when you become a founder and you start really pushing. People actually want to listen to what you have to say, as long as you, you know, you're backing yourself up and being a reasonable person. But I've been invited around the world since I became a founder. I've been to New York twice for consensus. I've been to the OECD blockchain policy conference twice as a guest. We're able to do things that we couldn't do if we were sitting in our normal nine to five jobs. Uh, I've got 
the ability to connect to people quickly and fast internationally because of what we build and what the problems we solve. You get you don't have to go through the whole 10 conversations before you're going to actually potentially trust each other. It's quick and you're able to connect and start working, yeah. you know, or, or, or share stories quickly. Um, that's what I found really quite amazing as a, as a founder is that you, you actually take barriers off yourself, off yourself. You really um, open yourself up and you go, right, there's no rules here. Let's go. How have, and you, you talked before about keeping yourself motivated when you get those knockbacks. What's, yes. what's been the fire kind of in your belly to kind of make you get up again and, and keep going? I think what I when I remember working in government and I I worked in Brisbane City Council during the flood event and also I worked in the Queensland government during year 2K and remembering all those times that technology had a role to play this moment yeah I guess I always just knew I've I've been like this since I was 8 mm. even though it's put me in a lot of problems a lot of being told to leave jobs because of being too polemic. But I, I guess it's just in my nature. Uh, to be an entrepreneur is not something that you wake up and decide to be yeah. and you think, yeah, you know, I'm going to go and do a hackathon and cool, I'm now going to get my T-shirt and do pictures and it's all going to be awesome and yeah. killing it. This stuff is hard. It is, it's hard, yeah. but you either have two choices. You can either, and it's not to say, you know, I always tell people this is not, for everybody. You don't need to be an entrepreneur. You can be an intrapreneur. Um, but tenacity and getting up and going is something that takes a lot of strength, takes a lot of belief, but it also takes a strong network of people around you who will reach out and say, hey, are you okay? Mm. But it's behind the scenes with your other founders that yeah. know. And they, they will look at you when you they know that you're having a hard time yeah. and they will and they will reach out to you in private and say, Hey, I think we need to have a chat. Mm. That's that's what keeps you going. Yeah. We kind of touched on this before when you talked about ICOs. If we look at you, you talked about going to consensus, I mean some of the work they've done. Mm. Um we've got then R three who've done some really interesting stuff with Mask as well. We've then got yeah. the ASX. It seems that yeah. the kind of use cases that we're finding for blockchain have very little to do with, you know, transaction or payments and cryptocurrencies, but very much, as you said, these kind of really complex um, kind of, you know, supply chain um, environments. What do you what do you think is the kind of future for blockchain? And when do you think it will kind of hit that point where it becomes as you know, as ubiquitous as the internet? Well, I think when we think about the internet, you know, that was 25 years ago. And what are we in year 11 now with blockchain? Maybe five years with Ethereum, six years if we're lucky. And probably it's only been the last two years that we really have are having serious conversations where we're seeing governments adopting roadmaps and policy and funding models and things like that. So I think we have to be patient and give ourselves permission uh, that this is going to take a little while longer. But given that it is still going to take us a little bit longer, it's not an excuse to say, well, we're going to give up because it hasn't delivered on its promise. I think we um, we still are learning more and more about this technology. The challenge that is 
currently for us is a, and it's not necessarily currently for us, but we see that the more and more different blockchains that come into the market and claim to be the best, it's hard for our dev team. Yeah. <laughs> because, because it's just like, well, we've got to learn something else now, you know, and it's confusing for the customers and, you know, it's almost like we're just wanting to say, look, can we just please just stop building different ones and mm. actually agree yeah. on a on a standard digital infrastructure that we can all agree upon? Yeah. It's an amazing show way back in time. It was about three years ago called Halt and Catch Fire and Halt and Catch Fire was an amazing series and it started in 1983 and finished in 1993 and it, start, and, and it ended when um, we had all the different browsers starting to appear like Yahoo and AOL and all that sort of stuff. But 1983 was interesting because this is when Windows first came out and then we had Apple. Then we started having the, the fights over the different browsers remember yahoo yeah. and if anyone knows knows yahoo's story that is phenomenal so look we're back doing this all over again but i think we're just a little bit more it's instead of private companies that are doing this we've seen you know the first was you know bitcoin where you didn't have any ibms in the in the world trying to take open source software and turn it into proprietary software so i think the difference is that um what we're seeing this time around is it is we're dealing with different technology in terms of we have the internet, it's fast, people are connected through mobile technology. We've got a um, an incredible development community that are working hard to ensure that we have a future with this tech. But I think I do get quite frustrated when um, I hear all the time on Coindesk and just because you write five lines of code, all of a sudden you get this this feature in Coindesk and I'm like, what's happening yeah. next? And you don't hear anything more about that use case ever again. And it's like, can we just start to agree on some common digital infrastructure because it is hard when you're trying to sit down with customers and all of a sudden they go, oh, but I've heard of this and I've heard of that. And you go, come on, let's focus on the problem we're trying to solve here. Then we start to choose the tools of choice, but we have to agree on the problem to be solved. It's not about saying, let's go use R3 or let's go use this and then shove the problem into it because you probably find that that those platforms are not suitable to the problem to which you're trying to solve. Yeah. And where's Civic Ledger at now so in terms of number of employees and et cetera? Oh, we've got a couple. We've got a few of us that are daily, daily civic, civic ledger pick kids. Uh, we've got Fraser over in uh, France. Um, he's leading our our expose into Europe at the moment. Uh, there's Rob and myself. Um, here in Brisbane, and Matt, he decided he wanted to go and live in Thailand for a little while, so he's over in Thailand under lockdown. Um, we also have Lucas in the office, and Lucas works with us um, on special projects. And we still have the founding team, uh, Victor Yang, he's in Sydney, and Bradley Miles is in Melbourne. Um, and we have our advisory board, and we have a little team of um, what we call movie movie sets. So when we actually work on a project or an opportunity, we sort of put the band back together. Yeah, um, it's, it's such an awesome and, way, I think, of approaching startup businesses. And it's exactly the analogy that we use of, you know, the, the kind of Hollywood production of you bring it together, you get it out, you go your separate paths, and then when it's time for the sequel, you bring everybody back together and go again. 
Yeah, and ideally we've got a commitment that from because we've we were born, you know, this company was born in in late September 2016. Um, you know, it's now 2020. So I've sort of got a commitment that by the time that we get to the new FIs, the first of July, we're not calling ourselves a startup anymore. We're really starting to move into us as a serious um company that is is about scaling and yeah. building not sort of letting go of the the, the movie set approach and, and yeah. bringing people in that yeah. that can actually be with us because we're starting to see that perhaps we started, we're starting to see a little bit more um, maturity around the tech and a lot more um, openness to exploring. It's just taken a while. It's taken a long time, well, but it's okay. I, I, but I think, you know, there's also, I guess, a philosophy that you've got to earn the right to get to that point. Mm. You know, you've clearly earned the right to get there. What Oftentimes what we see is... Um, you know, businesses try to bypass that and it's almost like, a, you know, the, the kind of um, journey that you see a caterpillar to a butterfly, that kind of sticky mess in the middle, you can't avoid. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. limit the amount of time that you spend there. Um, yeah. You know, but if you try to bypass that, it causes all so- sorts of problems later on. It, do- it does. And I think, you know, I, I'm, yeah, okay, I, I happen to be a co-founder in this CEO, but doesn't mean that I know everything. Like I go to CEO school. I mean, we up in Brisbane, Swellyville in Brizzy, um, we have a wonderful relationship. We have BDO, which is a mid-tier accounting firm globally, and we have an amazing um, community in BDO through Mark Orchard, who's created a, an entire startup culture in BDO. So there's about 24 of us founders in Brisbane that go to BDO school, CEO school once a month, um, and we spend eight hours every once a month go through what it means to be a CEO, what does it mean to be a CEO of a startup that needs to scale, and what are those foundational frameworks that we must have that you don't really get when you start because everyone's all about, oh, yeah, you're a startup. Yeah, how cool you're working with this tech. But you still got to have financial literacy. You've got to understand your governance. You've got to know about your shareholders agreements. You've got to understand your obligations through your accounting and your corporations act and knowing what it means to be solvent and what it means to have shareholders and what does it mean to do pitching and all of that stuff. And yeah. that stuff gets that gets a bit pushed away because it's not cool. And we, we've got a similar observation. You know, so I've, I've done around about 300 of these interviews since I launched the business in 2016 and having discussions with founders like yourself, having looked at the, the backgrounds of people, less than I think 1% would have a background in HR recruitment as a, as a profession, which right, rightfully so. I don't think it's, it's kind of conducive to being a founder, but when it comes to hiring, every founder I've met is an expert. <laughs> it's yes. I think it's a kind of challenge, yes, right? Is it trying to be the expert and everything rather than understanding, hey, my limitations and you know, this this belief that everything is easy. And it all comes down to my role as a CEO where I can start letting go of doing everything and starting to focus on culture and people and growth and making sure that we keep going back to that values proposition. You know, why do we exist? What's our purpose? Why are we here? Where do we go next? Who do we want people working with us? Those important elements. Well, Katrina, it's been great chatting with you. Fascinating actually to hear the, you know, the, the use cases that we're seeing in blockchain as well. 
And we wish you and the team all the best with the rest of 2020. Um, please keep us, you know, keep in touch and we'd love to have you back on the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Dexter. Thank you so much. Well, that's the end of the show, folks. Thanks for tuning in and thanks to our partners, Fintech Australia. Remember to subscribe. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and all of your favorite players. And check out the show notes for additional info on our current opportunities. And if you'd like to sponsor the show or you're looking to hire game-changing fintech talent, check out tier1people.com or contact talent at tier1people.com.